Welcome back to the Middle of Culture. I'm one of your hosts, Eden. And I'm your other host, Peter. And in case you can't tell, listeners, we're both recovering still. <laughs> we are, that's for sure. In but at least you, we're recovering. Yeah, it was it was long, uh, arduous battle, I think, for the both of us. But we both seem to be on the mend. And uh, we are here to give the people what they want, because what they want is an episode of our podcast. That's right. So, uh, Peter, what you been up to? Um, you know, kind of a lot, actually. I guess that's one of the advantages of being sick. Um, it is also we, you know, it's been a month since we recorded. So I, I was looking over the true. list of that's all the stuff I'd engaged with, and I was like, "Yes, I got a lot to talk about." <laughs> I'm probably forgetting some of it, but uh, I'll run through the highlights and keep it uh, somewhat short. Um, you know, on the TV side, uh, I watched, uh, have you ever heard of an Apple, excuse me, an Amazon prime show called upload? I don't know that I have. Doesn't sound familiar to me. Somehow it got recommended to me in the Apple TVs, like up next, what you're watching section. Um, it, it surprised me. I'd never heard of it before. It has three seasons with a fourth. I don't know if officially announced, but the creators are pretty sure it's going to happen. It was created by Greg Daniels, one of the guys behind parks and rec. And, um, he's done a few other things. I think maybe he was in like community or something like that. Um, it's, it's fun. It's not as funny as I was hoping for. It's a little bit, I don't know. I didn't quite know what I was going to get, but I ended up enjoying it enough that over the course of the last month, I, month I, I have watched the entire three seasons. They're only like eight episodes a season. Sure. But the basic premise is the main character, he's uh, in the near future, like 2030 something, uh, he's kind of doing a tech startup because one of the big things is people upload their, basically your consciousness gets uploaded to a digital afterlife uh-huh. and the nice ones are for the rich people. And he was working on one that, um, rather than being controlled by big corporations, that it would be something that people could run on their own. So families would have control of their, uh, family members uploads. Cause you know, in the future, not too far from reality, uh, corporations run everything and they're like these mega corps that are funny. Like it's Oscar Meyer, Intel and, uh, craft HP. And, sure. um, and so, you know, there's this big fancy main upload thing and, and, you know, you get uploaded and your consciousness is their property. And so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so the main character is, kind of getting, you know, trying to develop his own, um, system that, uh, and then, you know, gets in an accident that shouldn't have happened because of autonomous vehicles and kind of ends up getting harangued into uploading into horizon, which is the big fancy one by his girlfriend. Uh-huh. And then it's kind of this, you know, his life inside, uh, the whatever Lakeview or something like that. Um, and then kind of what's happening on the outside and him figuring out that, you know, there were nefarious circumstances and back and forth. And, you know, long story short, um, it's fun. I thought, uh, it's not the greatest in the world, but I think the characters, again, it, it hits the main thing for me, which we've talked about before is characters. And you do see 
good character growth in some of the main characters that make them more endearing as the season goes along. And that's, you know, if you can do that, you're going to, you're going to get me to at least be interested. So, sure. um, it was fun. And again, I thought worth watching and I'm hoping that, you know, a fourth season does come because it definitely ends on a cliffhanger. Um, but there was that, uh, I did in the last little bit, make it through the second season of Reacher also on Amazon prime. Nice. Um, much to my joy, season two of Reacher far less dark than season one. I mean, okay. in, uh, did you watch Reacher at all or? I only know Reacher from the jokes about how jacked the main actor is. He, he is, he, he is huge. And it's funny when you think about who they chose to play the character, Jack Reacher in the two movies that were made. Um, Ex- because yeah. I know in the, uh, from what little I know in the book series, he's also like an enormous, you know, uh, yes. brick shit house of a man. So to have, oh, absolutely. Uh, to have that be, uh, dainty our, little our, our Tom man, Cruise. Tom Cruise is a little strange. <laughs> yes. Um, I'll, I'll say season one, I enjoyed it, but it was very dark. I mean, there were like scenes of torture where dude's balls are getting cut off and he's being forced to eat them in front of his wife who is like tied up across from him. And, um, and there was much less of that in season two. So I was very happy about that. There's plenty of violence, but it wasn't like this dark torture, gratuitous violence. It was just people trying to kill other people and often succeeding. Um, but I still enjoyed it. It was interesting. Uh, I think it's worth watching and I think TV that's about it. Other than, you know, uh, Gareth and I kind of keep slowly plugging away at big bang theory because it's dumb, easy to watch and kind of makes me laugh. So, you know, we'll watch an episode or two in the evening before we go on and try and do some other things just to give ourselves a mental break and, uh, TV wise, that's about it. Um, movie wise, (laughs) getting sick over the last three or four days and being home alone because my wife and Gareth were in Boise for a uh, swim meet and it was just me home alone. I ended up watching a bunch of movies in the Fast and Furious franchise. Hell yeah. (laughs) I I am up to Fate of the Furious. I finished F Fast 7 or Furious 7, whichever it's called last night. It's Furious Um, 7. I started with Tokyo Drift because I'd obviously seen one and two, but honestly had never seen the rest of them. So um, watched Tokyo Drift and then Fast and Furious and then Fast Five and Fast Six and Furious Seven uh, all over the last few days. And Well, you got to um, see the best ones. You know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're entertaining. I mean, we've talked about them briefly when I think you were going to see uh, 10 or, you know. Yeah. Here's the thing. Anybody, you just go into it, you know what you're getting. Again, you turn your brain off. You, if you were so inclined, probably shouldn't take a drink every time somebody says the word family because you'll be just shit-faced and possibly alcoholic poisoned. Oh, absolutely. One of these movies. Uh, And and you just, you know, you just kind of watch it. And, And I will say, again, as cheesy and silly as they are, I did feel that Furious 7 was, you know, it was kind of a poignant send-off for Paul Walker. Um, yeah. So I thought, they did a, I thought they did a nice job with that. And maybe it's manufactured or not, but it definitely felt like there was very real affection for most of the people uh, in these movies for him and that they really wanted to 
kind of end that in a way that uh, sent him off. I was very glad. I, I was a little worried that they were going to kill him in movie. Uh-huh. And I thought that that would be really cheap. So I was really glad that it was more of a send off. He's retiring. He's got a kid, a kid on the way, dude, you know, you shouldn't be part of this life. Be with your family. Um, I will say so, it gets increasingly silly after he's dead. As the movies go on, the ways in which they try to be like, Oh, he's just off screen because guess who else is here? His wife is still here because she's part of La Familia. (laughs) So, you know, we got to get Jordan (laughs) Brewster. We got to get Jordan Brewster on set. So she has taken the place of him in a lot of those scenes. So it is very silly that they're always like, well, Paul's taking care of the kids so I can come be with my family. (laughs) Oh, by the way, we have a secret new brother that you'll find out about in number nine. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, again, I love them. They're so dumb. Yeah. Even if, even if I was talking with a friend about it the other day and I don't, I love when the antagonists are the antagonists, and then once they become friends of the family, I like them less. Like <laughs> Hobbs worked best as the bad guy of five, and then you're yes. like, oh yeah, the Rock's still around, and like Jason Statham's Shaw works best as the bad guy of seven, and then by the time you're watching Hobbs and Shaw, you're like, I'm watching a spinoff movie about these two guys who I liked better when they were the bad guy. Yeah. Um, I still like them. I still like, I still am excited to get one to two more of those question mark. However many we're still getting, I know it was supposed to end at 11, but now they're maybe saying they'll do 11 and 12. I don't know. They're dumb. They're fun. I like them. Uh, the scenes are increasingly goofy. Uh, and the wit and the contrivances by way of making things that happen in previous movies, relate to the new things that happen there's i won't get into it because i don't want to spoil fast 10 but there's a specific scene in fast 10 where it is literally like you remember this stuff from number five and or seven i can't remember which right now (laughs) this person was literally six inches off the screen the entire time and it's like that's funny okay okay guys okay but it all works i enjoy them and uh yeah they are what they are I mean, again, as long as you go into them, understanding what you're getting, I see, I look at it and go, I think it would be hard to not be entertained. Absolutely. You're not going to think about them when you're done. No. You just move on. But while you're watching them, you're going to have a good time. And that's what I did. I had a good time watching, I think, what, three, four, five, six, seven. So I watched five. I think I watched... One yesterday, two on Saturday, and two on Friday while I was home alone, chilling, sick. So, you know, um, I think that's it for TVs and movies. Uh, Briefly, video games. Uh, I finished Starfield. I know I texted you when I did that. You did, yeah. I think I mentioned that it was a solid 7 out of 10 game. And for people who kind of, you know, know what that means, you'll get it for those who don't. Uh, in, in video games and in a lot of reviews for things online, seven out of 10 is the, the score that you give something that isn't actually really that good, but isn't bad enough, or you're a little too chicken shit to actually give it a bad, uh, score. So you give it a seven out of 10. And I will say this, that once I finished it, I, I did think to myself, 
okay, now that I can new game plus it, uh, with, and I won't give spoilers why, but other than to say that there is an in-universe reason to new game plus, like it actually mm-hmm. works with the story. So I'll give them mm-hmm. credit for that. Um, I did think, yeah, I'll come back and play this maybe later this year after there's hopefully been some type of big content update or, you know, something that's, that adds more to the game and hopefully addresses some of the issues that I think a lot of people online have been, uh, moaning about. And I don't know, I could be wrong, but just given Bethesda's history and the fact that, you know, now they're part of Microsoft and Microsoft, I think wants Starfield to be a big game that people are playing for years and years. Absolutely. At the very least, I don't know if it'll be great, but I think that we will continue to get content for it. So, you know, I'll come back. Um, finishing that up, I started playing control again. I'd started it years ago. Uh, and now that I have a 4070 TI that can run it with ray tracing on and DLSS on and everything set at maximum, I decided I'd fire that up again. Uh, and you know what? Remedy just makes weird ass games that are super interesting. I mean, the that's story a, of what's that's happening. That's a good in way Conf- to describe it. They are <laughs> interesting. I don't yeah. personally think any of them are very good, but I'm always interested. Yeah. I mean, and they, they have some tropes and, and I know that there's this idea that in all their games, there's connections. They've created their own, their remedy connected universe sort of thing. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm enjoying control. I think that the abilities that you get, the combat is fun and engaging enough to the point, uh, that when I go into a big battle and I do something stupid and die and have to start again, I'm not angry about it. I'm actually like, okay, I, you know, I I learned from this encounter. I'm going to approach it a little differently and I'll give them credit because a lot of times in games, I don't feel that way. And so the fact that mechanically, this is a fun enough game to play uh, that it's not frustrating me in that regards. Um, you know, I got to give them credit for that. And uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm quite a bit further this time around than when I did play the first time. I started from scratch because I just, it's been years and I sure uh, didn't remember any specifics, but uh, I'm having a good time with that. Uh, I think the video games, that's about it. I'm still... You know, I side eye Baldur's Gate three every once in a while. <laughs> I decide when I'm gonna when I'm gonna bite the bullet there. Um, and then the final thing, final thing I want to mention because this is a big deal. I finished the Wheel of Time. Hey, Fine. you ding dang did it, the dang thing. You know, four point four million words later. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I, I wrapped up book 14. It was last Saturday. I'd been, I mean, again, I will say books nine, 10 and 11 are just a slog to get through. And then once Sanderson takes over, it took about half a book of book 12 for me to really feel like things were starting to move. And, you know, he, he had to bring things together again and then start moving them forward. And once it started moving forward, it moved really fast. And so I, you know, I think at the beginning of week before last, I was at like page 400 and I read the last 600 and plus pages that week. And, you know, I ended up on Saturday, I had like 200 to go. And I just said to my wife, I said, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to bed till this is done. Uh, I got to finish it off now. So I there finished you. that. And then last week I read the book, All Souls Lost by Dan Morin. Um, he's a kind of a tech writer, podcaster who I listen to a bunch of his shows. And then he's an author as well. 
most of his books are kind of sci-fi spy novels. Um, this was just kind of a fun one-off short. It's only like 260 pages. Uh, basically it's about Mike Lucifer. He is a spiritual consultant slash private investigator in Boston. And, uh, it was a fun book, quick, easy read, uh, interesting characters. Um, again, just kind of a one-off. So, you know, I was listening to a podcast with him and if he has a chance, it's one of those things where he's like, yeah, I've got more ideas of stories I could tell in this universe, but at the same time feels perfectly great as a nice short little novel slash novella that you can crank out in a day or two. Um, and so that was fun to read because nice. <laughs> it was nice going from something that, you know, that was again, 14 and a half books long and 4.4 million words to something that was one book long and, you know, 65,000 words. So, um, and then the final thing I'll say is I finished that up on Saturday and yesterday I started Tress of the Emerald Sea by Brandon Sanderson. That was one of his secret projects that he wrote during lockdown of 2020. Oh, sure. And, um, I just got to say, oh my gosh, this book is just such a delight. Uh, Tress is just a wonderful character. Um, it's a fun story. It is in his Cosmere universe, but so far other than one character, not really connected to the others. So it's a great kind of one-off. Um, my wife actually read it, uh, when she was home over, I think it was when she was home over Christmas break at the recommendation of our oldest child. And, you know, List loved it. Like she finished it and immediately went and picked up Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, one of the other secret project books that again is kind of a standalone uh, because she just loved Tress so much. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I'm, gosh, I'm probably halfway through. Uh, it's about 400 pages and I'm a couple hundred in. And I just don't want to stop reading it because it's a fun story in an interesting world and again, the main character is so great. There's this one line at the end of one of the chapters where it's told by a, a narrator who uh, happens to be in all, he, he's, he's the one person, the one character who I believe is in every single book that is in the Cosmere universe. He's a world hopper. So he shows okay. up as at least some minor character everywhere. He's one of the minor characters. And then he's also the narrator for this book. And it was a great line, something to the effect of, you know, Tress, the main character, she, she sees something, she has this idea. I think this is what's going on. And then the main, you know, the, the narrator says something to the effect of, and then Tress did the most unusual, incredible, heroic thing known to man. She paused and reconsidered her assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is just great. So. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lots of stuff for me over the last month or so. And it's actually been really kind of fun. So nice. What about you? I went on for a while. What you been up to? Um, you know, been busy also, uh, you know, tr convalescing, which meant I spent a lot of time just like doing grindy things in video games that aren't really worth mentioning. Um, but some <laughs> things that are worth mentioning, uh, that I've been reading recently or checking out recently, um, one thing worth mention, I'll mention a couple of books. Um, one is a two volume, uh, crime comic that I read. It was a thing that I was at the comic store on a Wednesday or on a Saturday. And we were like looking through the previews catalog, trying to figure out, Oh, what should we order for March or April? Whenever it was for, 
Um, I, you know, I was helping the new owner try to decide as we're trying to expand sure. some of our like our our, our collections. Um, and they had this, you know, like ad that was like, hey, this stuff is back available again. Stuff that had already been printed. And so I picked it up. It's called Ryuko. And it is a, like I said, two volume crime comic by Eldo Yoshimisu. And uh, Yoshimisu is specifically was like an artist, like an, like a, he did a lot of like gallery work and things like that before he moved into comics. Um, and one of the things that he often did was he drew this character Ryuko in a lot of his artwork. Um, and she's, you know, like this really tall willowy woman with like this really long black hair and this arresting dragon tattoo on her, on her leg. And so he like used her in a lot of artwork. And then someone was finally like, why don't you make a comic about her? Um, and so he did. And it's not, the best written comic I've ever read. It's really heavy on the tropes. It's just like, you know, Yakuza fiction and has everything you'd expect in a Yakuza story. Um, but it looks like 10 million bucks. Like it is so incredible to look at this guy. And it was done all with like ballpoint pen. And you can tell in the way that the inks sit on the page that these are pen inks and not like painted inks. Um, and it's just incredible to look at. Um, and I cool. had, I, I had a, a wonderful time. Like I read both of them in like less than a day. I just like devoured this series. Um, and it like also was, it was very like the production values were very high. It came in this box set and the box was like really sturdy and well-constructed, which is often not the case when you get a box set. Um, sure. It was very cool. I really enjoyed it. Highly recommend it. Um, the other thing I would mention that I've been reading, uh, so the other day, this is going to sound stupid, but it is true, so it's worth mentioning. The other day, I was talking to someone, and I was speaking to them in Spanish, and neither of us, she is not, she's from Mexico, but she's not Catholic, and her whole family isn't Catholic, and I am not Catholic, but I did learn Spanish as a second language, and neither of us could remember how to say the word Lent in Spanish as we were discussing that Lent was coming up. And it was, be okay. but I used, I used to know how to say Lent. I used to know this sure. kind of vocabulary. So it's all just gone. And I realized that because I switched jobs a couple years ago, I'm not in the Spanish department at the university anymore. I just don't engage with Spanish hardly at all these days. And uh -huh. so grammar wise, still fine. Not a problem. But vocabulary wise, I'm just losing it. Like I don't yeah. have the vocab the way that I used to. So I have been reading, you know, I just like jump, jumped online and like started Googling for ideas of things I could read. I've been reading this police procedural novel from Spain called Curvas Peligrosas, Dangerous Curves. Um, and it is about these two detectives, one who's like this old veteran that everyone calls the Marquesa because she like dresses super fancily and is like really aloof and everyone thinks she's kind of a bitch. Um, and she's like the senior officer. And then there is this new junior officer that is starting and she's going to be trained by the Marquesa, um, who is like, you know, the Marquesa is like an old timey type cop who's like, I'm doing it by my feeling. I'm doing it like, you know, by my intuition. Whereas Susana or, uh, Rebecca, uh, Santana, the new detective is like, no, I have a degree in like psychology and like criminology. And I've been like trained on like 
how how should I do these things in a meaningful manner, respecting people's civil liberties, which is not a thing that other cops are really into. <laughs> um, and and like the kind of the the conflicts between the two of them as characters and then also the interpersonal conflicts in their lives because like the older woman is like divorced and her husband sounds her ex-husband sounds like he's kind of a dick and is like trying to pressure her into selling the uh, like uh you know lakeside property that they have and, and then her daughter's like no you can't sell that and then the younger woman is like in this relationship with her girlfriend who her girlfriend is like kind of wishy-washy just like works at a theater like as like slinging popcorn essentially like not not really driven or or like excited about things so they're kind of on the outs because it just feels like this relationship has run its course because santana is still like doing other things and trying to improve her life and then she meets this defense attorney who is there to defend this suspect they brought in on this case that they're trying to solve and she's like oh no what if I am immediately in love with this uh, this defense attorney? So I think there's going to be some spicy stuff going on there. We've got mm-hmm. this this mystery of these two um, uh, disabled women who've been murdered, and they they think the two are linked, and they're trying to figure out who is the murder of these two disabled women. I'm having a surprisingly good time with it. I'm about halfway through it. Um, and I'm just really finding it to be delightful to be reading a novel in Spanish again, because this is not a thing that I just do anymore. It is a thing I used to do a lot of. I have multiple degrees in Spanish literature, but I just haven't engaged with it in years, and it's been really fun to go back to it. And I know, I know, I'm the resident acabologist on this uh, podcast, so it's a little silly for me to be like, I'm reading this police procedural when we all know how I feel about cops, but here I am. I'm enjoying it. Nice. And then the a couple other things I want to mention. Uh, in terms of things I've been watching, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it previously, um, but there is a live-action drama version of one of the comics that I've really liked and talked about on here. She Loves to Cook and She Loves to Eat got a live-action adaptation. Um, it oh. got a season last year that I watched over this christmas break and then the second season is airing right now um and i have been watching it with cassie we watch it together at the end of the week because uh it's airing daily uh but obviously the fan subber isn't gonna have time to do fan subs every single day so she waits sure. until all four episodes are out and then like does them all in a batch that weekend so then every like sunday night cassie and i sit down and like watch four episodes of the show together because they're like 15 minute episodes it's not a big deal um it's just delightful. It is, it, it is, I, you know, I have I've talked on length at length on this podcast about how much I like that comic and the show has captured a lot of the things I really love about the comic. Um, it's really well cast. It's really well acted. You can tell it's made on like a shoestring budget, but I sure. still think it's really delightful. Um, in this last batch of episodes, they finally had love confessions between the two main characters. They have admitted to each other that they have feelings and they have started a relationship. Granted, the extent of that relationship so far has been uh, shaking hands uh, over a, a table. That has been the extent of their physical touch in this relationship so far. But, you know, we'll take what we can get. We'll take what we can get. <laughs> Um, it's delightful though. We got eight episodes left of this season and I'm really enjoying myself. Uh, and it's, it's just really fun. 
one of the things that I think is the funnest part about it is uh, of the two main characters, the one who likes to eat, this is actually her first uh, role in a show. She's actually a classical okay. pianist. Uh, oh, nice. And somehow has ended up acting in this show and has done some really incredible like character work in this second season that I've been really impressed with as it's dealt with questions about like family obligation versus like what do you want for your life as a person and like what do you owe to your parents when they are sexist and and terrible to you and things like that it's it's really nuanced and really good show um and i'm really enjoying it and it was very funny i was telling my coworkers at work about it today and one of my coworkers, uh who's a lesbian was like oh so they're gonna die now that they've confessed their love to each other huh that's how this always <laughs> shakes out and i was like Girl, you need to watch more Japanese media because they don't always die there. No, no one's dying in this one, babe. They are surviving and they're going to be in love forever. So I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and, and then the last thing I'll mention, a couple games I've been playing. Uh, actually, I have a, a couple games worth mentioning. First off, I will say I, too, got sucked up in the PAL world craze for one week. And then oh, I realized. You did. This book, this game sucks, and I haven't touched it since. <laughs> and I think everyone realized that because everyone was super hot and heavy for that game for about a week, and then we yeah. all realized this is dog shit. This game is not that good. It looks like shit. It plays like shit. Why are we all wasting our time with this? So I haven't touched that's, it in like three weeks. That's really interesting to hear, and I'm glad to hear you say that because it was it was like. It was all over Reddit in the gaming, so, you know, R slash gaming. It was in the highest concurrences ever was, on Steam or something like that. Yeah, and and it's like, oh, this is an early access game. And then there was the whole, um, you know, the mod that got the season desist from Nintendo, so it was getting all this coverage. But like you said, literally for one week, and I haven't heard anything about it mm-hmm. since that first week. And that's because it's dog shit. It's not fun to play and it's not worth your time. And I, luckily, thank God for Game Pass because I did not pay a penny for this crap. I downloaded it through Game Pass. I spent seven or eight hours total playing it. And I was like, this just kind of sucks. Why would I play this when I could go play like Dragon Quest? If I want a Pokemon ripoff that's not Pokemon, I'll go play Dragon Quest Monsters. Like... I could I could play a Digimon game. There's so many other things I could be playing that aren't gonna suck absolute doggy do, but yeah. that game does. It's terrible, so don't play it. Well, good to know. Good to know. But two games that you should play, listener, if you are interested. Um, so a few years ago, I played this. I played the one I'll mention second first. One route of that. Then I played the one I'm gonna mention now, and then I went back and played more of this the other one. Uh, there's a game that came out in 2016. It is an RPG maker game. It's called Pocket Mirror. And it's like a horror game. It's RPG maker. So it's like really like kind of low res graphics, kind of PS1 era or SNES era like graphics. Looks a bit better than that, but not really. Like it's, you know, like really very, in terms of its mechanics, just like an RPG. But it is extremely creepy extremely spooky 
um, and just has like incredible impeccable vibes and in that game you play as this girl who wakes up trapped with amnesia in this like haunted castle and you're trying to figure out your story and you find out that like you know your mom went crazy after she had you and she like married this man because it would make her wealthy and then she went crazy and now you're trapped in this castle and you're like trying to survive and all this sorts of weird horror stuff happens very cool game but what is interesting about it is that just at the end of last year the prequel game came out and it is called little goody two shoes and let me tell you little goody two shoes is a delight it is a game where you play as this character named Elise who was found in the woods and after her adoptive grandma dies she becomes just kind of like a like a not a ne'er-do-well like a like an errand girl around the town doing odd jobs and just like kind of causing ruckus around the town um and wishing that she could be rich and famous and things like this um eventually this girl shows up and is hiding in her barn and she like brings this girl into her house and then all of this sort of weird supernatural stuff starts to unfold with the arrival of Rosemary. Um, but it has a bunch of mini games in it. It's also a weird RPG. It's got some life sim stuff in it because you've got to like maintain uh, Elise's health and you've also got to eat food or she'll starve to death. And you also need to maintain your sanity or you'll go insane. And it also has weird dating sim elements because there are three girls in this town that you can fall in love with over the course of the week that the game takes place. Um, and I thought it was so delightful. It looks incredible. If you want an idea of what it looks like, just look up Little Goody Two Shoes opening cinematic or something like that. If you Google something like that, Little Goody Two Shoes opening, you'll see it. It is the most like 1994 showed up on your TV screen and like just vomited out Magic Knight Ray Earth or Sailor Moon or Utena all over your screen. And it is incredible looking because it looks so decadent and like beautiful and and just like the height of anime at its peak in the 90s. Um, and it's just a really delightful game. I had such a fun time playing it and I really nice. recommend it if you want to play a very strange, horror-y adventure game. Cool. That's the last thing I'll mention. We talked a lot because we haven't seen talked to each other in a month, which is it's what true. happens. But we it also is. have a topic that we'd like to discuss today, dear listeners. Uh, and that topic is Gunpla, or if you prefer, Gundam plastic model kits. <laughs> so here's the deal. What I did is I have been building these things for a few years. I think they're really fun. And so on a lark, I said, I'm going to send you and Gareth a couple of these and you guys should take an afternoon or an evening and build them. And then we can talk about them. Uh, but before we talk about like Gundam model kits specifically, I know we talked a little bit, you know, after recording the last pod, when I mentioned this idea, you had some experience building like more traditional American style model kits when you were a kid, right? Tell me about that. Yes. Um, you know, I got into it for a little bit, but, uh, you know, and I don't even remember the age, uh, but it was really just the, uh, the snap ones. Uh, I didn't, you know, maybe some decals on them, but I didn't ever get into the kind where it was 
you know, you needed an exacto knife or the little things to like cut out the pieces and, and I wasn't gluing them together. Uh, that was always a little bit more than I wanted to do. So sure. I kept it to just the, you know, break the pieces out of the frames that they come in and snap them together. And hopefully that was going to hold them. And I built a lot of, it was mostly cars and airplanes. Sure. Um, and, and by airplanes, really mostly like jet fighter planes. Yeah. Like um, F-15s. But I did build, exactly. Um, and I did build quite a few of those uh, when I was younger, but again, it probably has been since, I don't know, 10, 11 years old that I don't think I had put anything together since that time. Yeah. I had a similar experience when I was about that age. You know, I remember explicitly it was an F-15 kit because it had the the movable wings that an F-15 has where it that can deploy. Oh, was it the 14? The 15? Yep, You're the right. The 14 Tomahawk had the, the wings that would either go out or go back. Uh, the F-14 was a Navy plane. The F-15 was an Air Force plane, I think, until the F-16 came out, and then it superseded the F-15. That's right. You're right. Well, it was the F-14 because I remember it having the moving wings because I thought that was such a cool feature. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, I built that. It was not it was it was hard i also like didn't i I had a bunch of decals but they were like water slide decals and i Uh tried doing it and then it was a disaster and i had to glue some of it up or they slide off or yeah uh and and also i was just like 10 or 12 i didn't know what i was doing like i didn't know that like here are the ways that you can do a water slide decal like guess what 40 year old eden can do a water slide decal now because i know what i'm talking about (laughs) (laughs) which we'll we'll get to uh but yeah and then i also remember this was a thing when i was for those of you who don't know listeners i grew up mormon i served a mission and one of my companions and I decided one year around Christmas time to buy model kits and to spend our preparation days when we were like doing laundry and stuff, building these model kits. So I did build like two model kits while I was, you know, 20. Uh, I remember specifically one was a Dodge Viper and one was a two a Datsun 240Z, which I still mm-hmm. am enamored with the Datsun 240Z to this day. Like... If anyone was to say, hey, Eden, what's your dream car? Like, no questions asked, no real reason to own it, no like, I need it for this task, what car would it be? For me, it would probably be either a 240 or a 280 Datsun, Z Datsun. It's, that's a great car. Um, yeah. But I had not really engaged with it since then until a couple of, a few years ago, I started hanging out in this Discord with some other people who were like into Gundam and things like that. And they were like, just start doing it. They're cheap. They, you don't need to glue them. They just snap right together. They have cool like color separation. So they look pretty cool and they don't really need to be painted. Like you can go all sickos mode about like panel lining and painting and that kind of stuff. But also it's just kind of fun to put a show that you don't really need to pay attention to on and grab some nippers and start putting them together. So I started building model kits three or four years ago maybe longer ago than that four or five years ago even though a lot of them were for stuff i'd never even seen before i would literally just go to amazon and sort like price low to high and just buy ones that i thought looked cool um okay 
And now I know a lot more about Gundam and I've seen a lot more Gundam stuff. So I'm more selective when I buy them now. And I reached a point where I was like, I got a bunch of these that I'm not, I don't really care about. I just built them for fun. So I just like threw them away. Cause like, who cares? They're like sure. $20, <laughs> but uh, <coughs> I have a much smaller collection now that are suits that I specifically like. Um, and so I was thinking a lot about them and the grade, there's a bunch of different grades, which we'll talk about in a bit, but like, I had mostly built high grades, which are like the, they were the entry point for a lot of years until they built, until they started about three or four years ago making entry grade kits. And so on a whim, I picked up an entry grade kit because I was like, how long does it take and how easy is it? And sure. the answer to that is not long and very. Um, and that was when I was like, okay, this is an idea. I want to buy a couple other entry grade kits and send them to to Peter and Gareth and see how their experience is building them because entry grade kits are specifically designed to not require a single tool you just pop them out of the sprues by hand click them together and you got an action figure so how was your mm -hmm. experience uh building it peter it was fun um as you mentioned it was easy and it was quick um, we had dinner one evening and then we popped them open and I bet you that in less than an hour, um, he had built one and I had built the other and it was a ton of fun. We just sat there at the table, uh, kind of his stuff all spread out in front of him, me with my stuff spread out in front of me and kind of going through and we'd put a little bit together. I'd get my head assembled. He'd get his head assembled. We'd look at him and kind of compare him and, uh, just kind of go from there. And, uh, it was... It, it's, it's a fun thing to do because you look at some of these pieces and you go, how is this going to look good? And then all of a sudden you put them together and you're like, holy crap, that looks yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably the most fun aspect about it is all these little pieces and you're like, yeah, they're going to fit together, but is it really going to? And then all of a sudden you snap, snap, snap. And you look at it and you're like, well, hell yeah. That looks good. That looks, that looks like what I was expecting and I didn't think it was going to. So yeah, it's just like, it, it feels a little like magic when you pull out. So for those of you who don't know, listeners, you get this box and you pull it open and it's got a bunch of things that are called sprues, which are just these big things. They're about like maybe a little smaller than an eight and a half by 11 and inside of it, there's a bunch of pieces that are done with injection molds and they have really thin connectors to the sprues so that they stay in their spots. I don't know if many of them had broken off. The kit that I got, the entry grade kit that I got, because specifically the entry grades are designed to be pulled out by hand. So their connections to the sprues are pretty weak. So when yeah. I got one, like a bunch of the pieces had broken out of the sprues already. And it was fine. Like I it, think you, only one or two in Garrett's well, kit. And I don't think any in mine, actually. That's really good. It makes it a little easier to find the pieces. I had like probably a dozen where I had to lay them out and be like, okay, where are these pieces going? Oh. <laughs> but it was fine. I, I'm, an, I'm an old hand at these, so it was fine. Uh, but yeah, like it's just so gratifying to like take this pile of plastic in these weird connecting bits and like slowly but surely be like, okay, I need piece B28 and C12 and C13 and C14 and A11. And then I go click, 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 click. And there's a foot. There's just a damn yeah. foot there now. 
and it's it's just really gratifying to see it all come together and i just find i don't know i just i find it almost kind of meditative and i get into like a flow state with it especially when i do like a little more complicated kits um where like a couple of hours will go by and then i'll be like oh what's time where did time go <laughs> sure i can imagine that so uh if i remember correctly i sent you guys the Grandpa Gundam, the R the RX-78 Gundam from the original Gundam series, and then the Gundam Seed. Which one did you end up building and which one did Gareth end up building? I let Gareth pick. He went with the original one. He did original and flavor, so the granddaddy the... Gundam, if you will. Yep. Yep. And I so I did the I did the newer version. The seed Gundam. Nice. Yeah, the one that yep. I did, they, they've got three entry kits right now and i did the new gundam which is the other of the three entry kits um and it was just it it was it's just fun to put them together they just come together really quick and it's really exciting um yeah in terms of their size it's they're about the size of a normal action figure they're like about five six inches tall usually um yeah. and they're like super poseable you can do all sorts of like funky poses with them and and I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of exciting. Yeah, it was. It was, again, like you said, just kind of, it was fun to watch them come together and, you know, you're putting things together and there were times where I'm like, this isn't going to stand up. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, gosh, not only does this stand up, like, like you said, I can kind of pose this a little bit and it'll hold the poses. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think that the, if, any of our listeners are interested in like doing an activity like this. These entry grade kits are really perfect for it. Cause you do just pop the pieces out, stick them together and you're good to go. Um, yeah, it was fun. There are a number of more complex grades as you go up. Uh, as I mentioned, like the entry grade is similar in size, but a little easier to do than the high grade. They're, they're the exact same scale. They're 100, they're one 144th scale. Um, and the high grade ones are the ones that I've built the most of. And all I think all my kits, except for this one that I built for this, were all are all high grades. Um, and the way a high grade works is you do have to often cut the the pieces out from the sprues um, with sure. like nippers. So I have like specific like they're like little tweezers, but they're more like a scissor. And I have to trim them out. And then you'll usually have to like take an exacto blade and like smooth out the cut place and then if you want to be real fancy like sand it down but i'm not fancy like that i just i just cut it and make them go together and those ones take a bit longer um because they often have more pieces to them um and they're a little more complicated um but then they have other ones like the real grade is the same size as the high grade and the entry grade but are super complicated they often have an entire inner frame that you build and then you add the armor oh, wow. on the outsides um, I have yet to build a real grade cause they're a little pricier. They're more like, you know, 60 to a hundred dollars versus like the entry crits are like 10 bucks. HGs are sure. usually like 20. So I just haven't like had one that I liked enough to sink real grade money on. Yeah. And then they have the master grade, which are a bit bigger. They're a one, 100 scale kit. Um, and I've built one of those back in the day, not knowing what it was. Um, it was a little more difficult because they're a little more complicated. It was pretty cool. And then they also have the perfect grade, which is a 160th. 
So those babies are like a foot tall. They're very, very yeah. big. And they're like 150 to 200 bucks a pop. They're very complicated. Oh, wow. um, and I keep thinking I want to like branch out into some of those other ones. But the high grade is the most common one because that's just the easiest one to make. And so you name a mobile suit, you can get a high grade of it. You can't always sure. get one of the fancier ones. So like if I have a favorite suit, like the Ariel from Mobile Suit Gundam, which from Mercury, which we talked about last year, I can get all those suits in high grade. I can't get any of them in any other size. So yeah. that's kind of the fun part about the high grade is like it does give you tons and tons of options. So now that you've done this, you did it like inspire any interest in other model kits or anything like that to you? Um, kind of. And I, okay. I say it that way because I definitely was like, yes, this could be fun. This could be a lot of fun. At the same time, I'm like, I have so much crap that I That's don't the trick. want more physical crap. That um, is so trick. that was the tension is on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, this would be fun to like, I would totally build more of these, but then where am I going to put them? Like I say, so, that's why I often build them, display them for a month or two, and then just throw them away. Because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I got I got my enjoyment out of them. They cost me $20. I spent a, a, a fun couple days putting them together and sure. then uh, display them for a month or two, and then into the recycling they go, and it's fine. Um, yeah, I think that would be what I would have to do if I were to to go down that path. The thing that I've been more and more interested in are things that are not just Gundams because like Gundams are cool. I like robot. Wow. Cool robot is how I feel about most Gundams. It's sure. they're, they're cool. They, they have cool designs. They're kind of fun, but I have uh, the, a couple of the ones I've built most recently are uh, their figure rise kits. And so instead of being a robot, these are like characters. So I built okay. the uh, the model kits for Suleta and Murine from Witch for Mercury. So instead of being big robot kits, these are like, you know, the characters. And it was really interesting to do those kits because on complexity wise, they're very similar to like the high grade. But it's also like a skinny little kid. And so like the pieces are just a lot smaller and like and thinner and so it just felt a little more delicate to put together in a lot of ways even though complexity wise it was very similar to to the other kits that i had built sure and then i have to shout out there are some other companies uh, you know these are all made by bandai this is literally like gundam model kits are what saved gundam because when gundam came out in 1979 not that many people watched it it was not a popular show and then in like 1980 they introduced these model kits and this was the first time they had ever made a model kit like this. And they made them of the three main suits from, from the original mobile suit Gundam and they sold like gangbusters. And so suddenly people were interested in this show that they had never cared about before. And that like aired really poorly. And it basically saved this now enormous uh, uh, franchise from becoming a one-off that faded into obscurity like so many other mech shows of that era and of any era. And I think that's uh -huh. really interesting to me, the way that like this this thing of like, okay, we're not just going to make action figures you go buy. We're going to make pieces and you get to make the action figure yourself. Uh, just kind of revitalized and saved this entire brand. 
Um, but Bandai cool. is the one. Bandai is the one who makes all the the Gundam kits, unless they're like weird, like off-brand pirate kits. Which there's also a whole, <laughs> there's a whole culture of like making your own model kits out of resin and having them 3D printed, and then you have to glue those together and all this kind of stuff. But there are also sure. other companies that make like official models, and I have to shout out. There's a company named Trumpeter that made model kits for the Bumblebee movie and their RC okay. the RC that I made from the from the Trumpeter Bumblebee kits is one of the most fun kits I've ever made. It's tiny. I think she's 3 maybe 3 and a half inches tall. But like is this really great, really posable figure of like my favorite transformer. And she's, it's the really cool design from Cybertron when she's in Bumblebee. And it's, it's really, it was really, it's one of the few non Bandai kits that I've made. And I was surprised how well it came together and how much fun I had making it. Even though again, it was very tiny in comparison to the Gundam kits that I've made before. Cause it is like three inches tall. It is very, very teeny yeah, tiny. That is small. Um, but it it was just really gratifying. And so I'm starting to look more into some of these other kits, like the figure eyes, where you're doing figures instead of characters. Um, and like, you know, some of these other model companies making other things. Just to try to sure. branch out into things that I that I'm interested in and trying new things, but I've had a lot of fun with it. It's just a really I like to put on like an eighties sitcom and just like yeah. Golden Girls, man. Golden Girls is the best show to build a model <laughs> kit to. I watched so many seasons of Golden Girls while just building model kits. That's awesome. But uh, I'm glad you guys had fun with it. I'm I'm yeah, I'm glad that it was uh, a, a fun father son activity. <laughs> it was, you know, and that's one of the things. That's one of the fun things about uh, Gareth is that he does like to kind of do that stuff. So anytime we have a good excuse to hang out and do something together. Uh, it's fun. And this was good. Yeah. Like I say, it was funny how evenly matched we were. We basically started at the same time, finished at almost the exact same time. So, nice. Nice. Well, that's yeah. exciting. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad y'all had a fun time doing it. And thank you for indulging me in this kind of silly oh, idea of building a model oh. kit. Um, but I think we're going to, I think we're going to wrap up there. We talked a lot at the beginning about stuff we've been and then uh, I guess we had less to talk about models than I thought, but that's fine. <laughs> it is what I it mean, is. It's what it is. It was fun. It was a good time and that's all that matters. Indeed. Well, we will be back in a couple of weeks. Um, I think we'll be continuing our Godzilla journey uh, with 1964's Mothra versus Godzilla, I think is the next one we're going to be watching. So we will be uh, back in two weeks. I was just ask to verify, so I'm making note of it right now. Should be, I think it's 64, Mothra versus Godzilla. Um, another early one, but very different in tone from the original 54 film. And so I'm very curious to see how you jive with it. And, you know, my girl Mothra's going to be there, so I'm in immediately. Anytime Mothra's in one of these, I'm like, ah. And anytime she's not on screen, I'm like, why isn't Mothra on screen? <laughs> well, so until then, uh, we will be back in two weeks. Thank you all for listening. And uh, we will talk to you then. Excellent. Bye, everybody.